Blog Talk Radio. As of the 1st of October 2019, in South Australia, a new law was passed that allows a public servant to enter, remain, inspect, or use reasonable force to break into any premise, place, vehicle or vessel. This public servant can remove items from the premises to be used as evidence in future, and a warrant is not required if there is a suspicion, just a suspicion, that a vulnerable adult is at risk of abuse. Matters will then be directed to a court or tribunal that is not bound by the rules of evidence, can determine matters as it thinks fit, and can reach an outcome, just, on the balance of probabilities, not beyond, reasonable doubt. Victims often, end up a ward of state. The public guardian and public trustee, are often placed, as the ultimate decision maker, and, take over all affairs. These laws, are expected to be rolled out in other states next year. Are you scared yet? Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in. Tonight, we have Chris from Australia and the Australia Association of Staff Guardianship and Estate Staff. Wait, Association, I'm messing it up. Um, Association, but you know what, Chris, while we were having the commercial, we are already having international callers call in. This is our international call-in show, and Chris and I are going to be hosting this. I just want to go over real quick. I was looking at some of our statistics that we have been running on the back of the house and who's listening to this podcast. And now the number two country just in the last two weeks, it's the country of Canada, is tuning in like nobody's business. And I know that Chris has a lot to talk about that. But, Chris, before we get started, please um, welcome and tell everybody about yourself. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. I think um, I think we do need to abbreviate our name. It's it's a bit too long. <laughs> um, I, I think that we. <laughs> no, no. I think we might just uh, sort of cut it back a little bit. But uh, it's an SOS night. I think it's a, an SOS call and and a warning to to everyone, particularly the Commonwealth countries. Um, I'm not surprised that Canada and Canadians are tuning in. I think the um, the same legal structures that we have in Australia, Commonwealth countries, uh, we're seeing the same uh, types of wealth transfer and uh, our vulnerable being targeted, young and old. This is not about just the elderly. This is not something that will may never happen to you, may not happen to you, and I hope it doesn't, but you will see loved ones targeted in your family Anyone who has a loved one or young, young or old with uh, mental health, we, we, we're seeing an increase with mental health uh, patients being targeted, those with depression, those with anxiety, they are being whisked away, never to be seen again in some cases. Um, I have been very, very busy in the last uh, few weeks attending tribunals, um, 20 uh, the age, the age, well, the age span has been 24 to 20 to 30. Uh, young, vulnerable people asking no money. They have no money. They have no assets. Being targeted by guardians. 
Um, they have a target on their back in Australia, and I'm, I'm assuming in other other countries as well. And the common theme that I'm seeing is that these young, vulnerable, often unemployed individuals are a cost to the system. They're a cost to education, the justice system, health, uh, transport, and all of these costs, and they are a problem for state and federal governments. And we're seeing a very common theme. They're being removed from trusted uh, support networks, trusted disability advocates, and they are locked away in a three-by-three three room, like a prison called a home. They're not homes, they're facilities, as Marty would call them, warehouses of death. And we're seeing more and more young people whisked away, never to be seen again, ripped from their mother's arms, literally. Mothers who have cared for their, their young, uh, vibrant young adults um, are being taken away and removed and strangers are taking over, paid strangers by the state. Uh, it's real, it is happening, I'm witnessing it, other advocates in Australia are witnessing it. We're hearing uh, other victims in Canada and in Italy now and in the northern parts of Europe, they are also being targeted. This is a worldwide global catcher's net. Um, we've got to really, really remember that World War II wasn't just about, and it was horrible, we know about the, the Jewish Holocaust, but vulnerable people as well were targeted as well, those with disabilities. And we have posters from World War II where uh, the Germans, um, and it wasn't the Germans, I'd say the Nazis, I, I, I always say the Germans didn't understand what was going on. They weren't, it was propaganda, they weren't aware. The Nazi regime targeted vulnerable disabled people and we're seeing this again. It's not a conspiracy. It is actually happening. So it is an SOS. Please be aware. Please protect your loved ones. Uh, look after your kids. Um, work with trusted networks. Uh, we have a disability scheme here in Australia called NDIS, National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's a carrot. It's, it's the dangling of a carrot. People believe there's assistance, and in some cases there is. But if your networks are not trusted, and if they are connected to the public guardians, they will set you up. I, I'm receiving calls every day. I've been so busy um, just fielding calls from families and, and, and parents. And that's the new target, parents and young disabled uh, victims of this tragedy. Guardianship will target anyone. It's not just the elderly, it's the young as well. It's so disgusting. We're seeing the same thing going on here in the United States. We're supposed to be, the, you know, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and nothing's being done. There was that big Senate hearing that happened back in March, which you helped uh, take part in that, and that's all it was was a Senate hearing. We haven't heard that there's any solutions that are coming up, that there's going to be any meetings coming up about what's going on. There's just nothing. But I am going to get one piece of information out. This, this just came in just a couple hours ago. And so I've been sharing it, and there's, a, there's like a group of people sharing it. And so I want to put this out to our listeners so that you can take part in it. Everyone is filing a complaint, and it's real easy. I've already filed mine. You're going to go to this website that I'm going to give you. It's basically going to prompt you. You're going to be able to write in like a 500-word summary of what's going on. If enough of us can 
fill this out, maybe they'll take notice that we have a problem. The website is run by the Department of Justice, so this is a government website. And here is the web address. It's www.civilrights, and I'm going to spell it, C-I-V-I-L-R-I-G-H-T-S dot J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot gov. So there's been a lot of people filling out complaints at this site, and we just want everyone to know that if you fill the complaint, even if you feel like nothing's going to be done, it really does matter. It's showing a paper trail, and I just encourage everyone to please go to that website and fill out your complaint. Do you have um, – before? well, before we get on, we have an international caller that has called in. I have uh, number 6141. You are live and on the air. Who do we have here? Hello. Hello. Oh, there we Hi. go. Hello, we can hear you. What What country are you calling in from? I'm calling from South Australia. Oh, welcome. How are things uh, in I South Australia? Well, well, <laughs> there's a lot of things happening in South Australia. Um, I apologize for the time lag. I think there's a couple of seconds between when I speak and, and I hear you. How about... As we all speak, we'll all pause a minute, and we won't interrupt each other so that we can have this international call. Thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate um, this um, podcast and um, certainly Chris um, Dallas and uh, the work that she's been doing here in Australia to liberate uh, so many people with disabilities who are vulnerable uh, from guardianship abuses because um, what we're finding here in South Australia is that things are cranking up and it's becoming more frequent. There are more people having um, the adult safeguard unit knock on their door do inspections surreptitiously, doing secret interviews, and the uh, participants and, and the clients don't even know it's happening. Uh, they think that there's, there's a welfare check, but they don't know who. They don't know which department, and they don't even get a business card with the Adult Safeguards Unit details on the business card. They often don't even get the full name of the people that are talking to them. And, of course, a lot of our people with disabilities get confused. Uh, they're ambushed, literally ambushed. When someone knocks on their door, a stranger, can we look at your house? Can we check your bedroom? Uh, who's feeding you? Who's caring for you? They get rattled and then, of course, they forget even the names of the people that came to the door. So they can't tell service providers, they can't tell their GP, they can't tell their psychiatrist who actually spoke to them. And this is a frequent thing with almost everybody that I've encountered. They might maybe remember a name. For example, they might say it was something like Karen or Corinne or Karina. We're not really sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This sounds, this sounds awful. So now, in Australia, are they allowed to just go into a house and search, search all over just if they want with no documents? It appears so because it's a case of catch me if you can. Um, if you do find yourself in that situation where the state comes after you with guardianship orders in the pipeline, you could easily spend a year and a half, two years fighting it. And even if in the end, you so-called win, you've actually really lost because that gives them time enough to completely damage your family relationships. 
damage the relationship you might have with your uh, disability service providers, for example, because everybody comes under scrutiny. But it's not just scrutiny, it's, a, it's an act of terrorism. Uh, for example, I've been accused of uh, taking um, advantage of my vulnerable clients and exploiting them. I was reported to the um, Health and Community Services Complaints Commissioner, to the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission, to the NDIS Fraud Department and several other agencies. Um, and after two years, I've never had anybody put in writing what I'm accused of and in the end, thankfully, after most of two years, my vulnerable clients were, were, were released from any guardianship orders for the moment. I'm sure that they'll try and come back at a later date uh, when they accumulate a dirty file. Um, and they couldn't do one. They couldn't do one on me or anybody in my network in more than a year and a half, nearly two years. But they're not stopping. They continue to try and create dirty files on service providers that they want out of the way. Now, why do they want service providers like me out of the way? Because we want to keep the family unit together. We don't want families broken up for no reason at all. Wow, this is just awful. And it's taken away from the time that you could be devoted to helping your clients that you're having to fight all this stuff. We're seeing the same thing in the United States where they're just basically divide and conquer, breaking up families and putting people with professional guardians who isolate these vulnerable people from ever seeing any of their family again. We're also seeing a lot of pharmaceutical drugs being pumped into the victims. Are you seeing a lot of chemical restraints with pharmaceuticals over there in Australia? Definitely with the ones that end up under guardianship, that's absolutely the case that, that's happening. Um, but what they, what they also do is um, when, for example, for example, uh, with one of my uh, clients, uh, there, there, there are two in the same family uh, that were threatened with guardianship orders. Um, the first thing the family did was they suspected that I had turned them in. And of course, uh, I mean, they know now that I never did and I never would. That, that, that is not the way I operate. If I see a vulnerable family that needs help, that might be facing homelessness, uh, poverty, you know, things that things are not right in the family, there are a lot of services and, and agencies out there that you can knock on their door and approach for help. That would be my starting point. <clears throat> my starting point would not be guardianship. <laughs> you know, you help them through the poverty. If right. they need employment, you help them through the employment. But you don't go guardianship. Exactly. In my opinion, I, they just need to abolish this guardianship. Even, you know, what's that saying? An exception to one is a slight to another. There's not ever one example of anybody who enjoys or has a positive experience with guardianship. And if they did come up with maybe that one example – Unfortunately, for the rest of the people that are under this, you just still have to abolish it. And I, it, it's, just, it's just so awful what they're doing, and it's at a, on a global scale. I'm going to read our number real quick if anyone else wants to call in. If you're on your computer, it's hard for me to see if you want to talk to us, so you do have to call in. The guest number is area code 917 388 4520, and then you hit the number one. Now, when you're calling international, because I've only done it a few times, so I'm not sure, aren't there numbers that you call out of and then you call into the United States? Chris, how do you call in? 
Oh, well, basically, double O double one, and then one in regards to the USA, and then you, you key in your number. So, um, calling in is, is we're used to it. We know that to call into America, it's double O double one, and then one, and then calling into your number. But um, yeah, I think um, I think this would be this. What matters has confirmed is this is an international and quite profitable little system that is running worldwide and South Australia I think really needs to be highlighted I think it's one of the most dangerous states because uh, really dangerous to live there if you're vulnerable it sounds terrifying and I do know that the United Nations has put sanctions on Australia or how how is the Australian government responding to these sanctions silence it's all about silence. Really? No one answers anything. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. It's just it's terrifying. And you're you're getting calls from people in different countries. What are some? I know I've heard Japan, Ireland, Scotland, Norway. What other countries are reaching out? Uh, well, Italy. I, I was really. Yeah, I was really shocked with Italy. I think Italy really sort of stunned me um, in terms of, you know, and the, the, the southern Italian, like the southern European countries are very family oriented and the Balkan states. So to actually now see this network um, infiltrating the southern part of Europe is really quite shocking for me. Uh, so to see, to see Italy and to see... Um, countries like that. I know Greece is relatively safe, but to see Italy and those countries, France is another country that we're seeing complaints um, emanating from. We're seeing Switzerland, uh, Japan. I've been um, Ireland as well. Ireland. I was shocked with Ireland. I thought, Ireland? And yet I, the Irish are having these problems as well. Um, I'm not really so much surprised with Japan. When we started um, ASCA, uh, Japan was one of the first countries to reach out to us. So I'm in contact with many in, in the Japanese community in regards to what's happening there. But there's a silence, almost like a cone of silence there, a fear. I, I really feel that there's a fear. But Canada as well, we know that we, in Canada that um, given that it's a Commonwealth country, I do know and I am aware that there are serious problems there. And I'm, even Marty would, would talk to me about that as well. And she would say Canada and Australia seem to have the same model um, and I really worry about the Canadians because I do know, particularly under lockdown, they were facing similar legislative restrictions that we had as well, and their young and vulnerable were being targeted in a similar fashion, just like Australians were. It's, it's horrifying. And even here in the United States, we're going through the same thing. I had recently been talking with an FBI agent, and it looked like they were going to do an investigation. And this is the second time that we had something that was getting looked at. And then they drop it, and they say, well, this just looks like a civil issue. Like, it, like it's not a civil issue. Like, I'm just going to go sue someone in civil court because the court did you know, it just doesn't make sense. And it really does seem like a big cover-up from the top down. Do you feel, I mean, so many of us feel like our government is is conspiring to have these things done. What do you feel about in your country? 
Well, I'm not sure if Matt's still on, but um, um, she has been, for instance, particularly targeted and she's not doing anything wrong other than providing a service. What we're seeing here, uh, those providers like Matt and others that are, that are actually working with the person with the disability, they're act- and they're not working with the, the government system, they are being um, defamed. They are being targeted, they are being isolated, their funding is being reduced. Um, and as Matt sort of, as she, as she confirmed, these are what's called Pyrrhic victories. Even after all these allegations are proved to be false, misleading, wrong lies, um, you win the battle, but it comes at such a high cost to your reputation and to, you know, it tires you out. And I think that's part of the process. I see that circular motion continuously that what you're basically doing is you throw mud and some of it sticks. So they keep throwing that mud. They keep continuously throwing that mud. And often people just walk away. They're exhausted. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to see and to hear people just crying, sheer exhaustion. But you really have to fight back. You really have to have that strength of character to fight back. Um, wrong is wrong. Um, these are not civil matters. Kidnapping is not a civil matter. Fraud is not a civil matter. Um, gaining a financial advantage by deceptive means is not a civil matter. However, when the government is doing, doing this or those connected with them, it seems to take on or be treated in that manner, and it should not be. These are criminal matters. Human trafficking is a crime. We've seen now, and Matt was involved with, with, with the, um, the movie The Sound of Freedom in South Australia, the premiere of that movie. It's any form of trafficking, child trafficking, uh, trafficking of our vulnerable, trafficking of the elderly, elderly is a crime. No matter how they spin this, no matter what propaganda they spin, it is a crime. Trying to get this message out has been so difficult for us. People do not believe it will happen to them. It won't happen to me. I hear it all the time. I'm married. I have children. I have powers of attorney. They don't want to believe. They believe in this illusion of safety, that I'm protected. It's a problem someone else will face. Not when you go into hospital. They have points where they will target you. A a simple fall, going to your doctor, going to hospital, um, a complaint, a knock on the door, as Matt said. Someone just knocks on the door and says, hello, we've, we've received a complaint. We would like to talk to you. It's as simple as that. It's dobbing your neighbour in. Your neighbour hates you. The tree, you haven't cut down the tree? Oh, I'll just call up the guardian and they'll knock you up on your door. I mean, that's how frightening it's become. I just I just don't believe that this can happen. And yet we're hearing this every day, various means, these spotters, there are spotters in the community ready to pounce and your life can be turned completely 360, a complete turn with one phone call by an irate neighbour or a social worker or a nurse or a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer. That's it. Simple. And you could be targeted and you could be on that list. Oh, I think you said something that is 
something that we could talk about more when you talked about the spotter and it just you know put to my to my mind that there was a guardian attorney that I dealt with in Montgomery County and oh are you ready for what she did she played the piano at the church give me a break the only reason that she was going to church was I think what you just said to be spotting there was also a judge and he was a um an elder in his church give me a break yeah i think you're right they're just like snakes in the community just hiding in places where you think you're safe and you think it can't happen to you and that's the same thing that i'm hearing here people will say the same thing or they'll just think that it's a conspiracy or that you know yeah as marty said surely we did something wrong to put this target on our back and i i think people are just blindsided when all of a sudden here they are in the mess, and you're not getting out. Look how hard it was for Britney Spears to get out. And now it looks like everyone's saying, oh, look at she's going crazy because she divorced her husband, or I don't know what's all going there, but I sure am rooting for her and hope that she can be yeah, okay. Yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, but look at someone like her. They kept her in, was it 14 years in a guardianship? and um. Yeah, it was. Oh, we got a caller. We had we had lost your caller. We just have an international caller here. This might be the same. Let me log them in really quick. All right. Well, that I have an international caller that just called in. Hello, yes, you're live hello. and on the air. Hello. Um, I've got you back. I, we had thank lost you. you before. Okay. Oh, thank you for joining us. We were just talking about spotters in the community, and I really feel that Chris brought up something that we haven't discussed before on this show. And I used the example of a guardian attorney that I knew that played the piano in played the piano in the church and probably was, you know, spotting, looking for victims. What do you feel about people in the community that might be out there working, looking for victims? hundred percent. Totally, totally agree. Um, this NDIS space, uh, the National Disability Insurance Scheme here in Australia, is very, very lucrative for the sharks in the water. Uh, and the sharks circle the moment they smell blood. Uh, for example, um, if, and, and I'll give you a real example. Um, when I allocate as a support coordinator work that's going to be done, let's say, for a particular client, um, obviously I need to consider who is the best person to be servicing the client. Usually there's ideally maybe two to three service providers. You don't want 40, 50 people coming through your home. This is your private home. You don't want a, a roster of, you know, 10 or more people washing you, bathing you, cooking your meals, etc. Ideally that's done by a small team. Usually two or three people is ideal. If you have maybe... Uh, two or three regulars and then maybe one on standby in the event that somebody gets sick, a car breaks down, something happens you know, in the life of that carer. But it's usually a small team. Now, um, it then becomes very, very ruthless because, needless to say, people are looking for work. There's a lot of unemployment out there. So you get people, let's say, doing a 10 to 15-hour roster, but somebody complains that, well, 10 to 15 hours isn't enough. I need full-time work. Um, but there's not, not enough full-time work with this particular client, okay? Um, so they yeah. might then complain. It actually happened in one situation where um, a worker 
complained to me that she was entitled to more hours than the other workers that were rostered. And she got very, very jealous, very envious, and um, sought to cause um, division, if you like, in the staff team. Now, you can't have that happening in a, in a, in a client's house. You want peace, harmony. You want, uh, you know, the, the carers all collaborating and working together. So when there's a handover, for example, you might have medications to manage for a particular client. Uh, you want the people on the team managing that without blaming each other if medication is missed, let's say, or an appointment is missed with a GP or a physiotherapist. And this becomes ruthless. So it's not hard for a disgruntled worker to go and dob you in, to dob in the client, to the guardianship board or to the adult safeguards unit in this instance to, to accuse, let's say, other workers or other service providers, support coordinators, occupational therapists, et cetera, et cetera, of um, neglecting or abusing or taking advantage of a client. It is absolutely cutthroat and it is dangerous if you have a team where there is disharmony or where there is jealousy um, and that is so easy. That is so easy. Uh, ruthless. It is absolutely ruthless. Wow. Just with the things that people do to ha cause harm to others, it kind of goes into some of the shows that Marty and I used to do on sociopaths. I mean, how I, – I just can't fathom how people can just bring about harm to others because they want their lives to be rich, their personal lives, and they don't really, they don't care about the destruction the end, or the other money and the harm. I, I think money is a big motivator in this. Um, I think um, money for the workers, money for the state, money for various agencies. Um, and if you are a client, let's say you're a participant with an NDIS budget, and you want to choose your own team, it takes no effort at all for someone to come in and completely steamroll. Wow. Wow. They don't let it's you... It's too easy. From what we, what we have experienced in um, the United States when, when uh, they did guardianship with my loved one, they didn't let anybody choose anything. They basically... they you know, phase one, they just steamroll it in, and it's always the same people that they keep appointing, the yeah. same guardians, the same attorneys, the same judges. That's what we see. And they don't even mm -hmm. give a facade of making anybody think that they are going to have any choice in the matter. They just, they just do it. I can remember, I was just talking about this the other day, but um, this was how powerful Marty's show was and is, is there was a gal, this was an, Florida, Jan Garwood, and she was in a lockdown dementia unit because she had a urinary tract infection, and that when you're elderly, that causes problems. So she recovers, and she's in this lockdown dementia or dementia unit. Mm -hmm. She can't escape. She has a guardian and everything. Mm -hmm. So her son hid a phone under her bed, and it was you know this show. It's Friday night, and in Florida, that's 8 p.m. Friday night and everyone thinks she's in bed and she just um, called in and they did an emergency hearing and she was set free on Monday but all her her home had been sold and her bank accounts had been wiped out and there was there was no recourse from it so really 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 no one is safe no one at all Absolutely. 
Um, that, that, is, that is absolutely true. And I'm finding um, a number of cases, three in about a week and a bit, where it involves a urinary tract infection, one man and two elderly women, uh, and they've been medicated um, on all sorts of things. Um, and then there's um, a suspicion or, or um, I guess, the, the claim that we're dealing with mental incapacity, which is permanent, when in actual fact it's a temporary thing and it's quite readily fixable. But it's common yeah. as common can be. It's scary because that can happen to any of us, especially none of us are getting any younger every day. We're getting closer and closer to being a victim. And really there's no age well, limit. They're taking victims' children even. Well, here's, here's an example. I was recently asked by a psychologist to assist a homeless person. Well, um, he's living in a hotel. He would be otherwise homeless because he's got nowhere to go. And he, he was housed in a hotel temporarily. Well, that temporary has been a good many weeks now um, because, needless to say, his home is being sold off, uh, you know, liquidate, uh, medicate, and, uh, yeah, that, that seems to be the, the typical go here. Um, and... I was asked to assist this gentleman uh, with his NDIS and uh, as I did so and then eventually the Office of Public Advocate was informed that I was on the case, immediately they came back with um, that quote, I am not authorised and approved by them to provide any services even though I'm volunteering my time. I'm actually not charging, I'm volunteering my time. Um, now this been left to the dogs because no one from the public advocate has been in touch with him to resolve his issues. He is distraught. He is distraught. He hasn't had a hot meal since he's been living in this hotel room because he can't cook. There are no facilities there for him to cook a hot meal. So he, he's reheating pies and pasties in the microwave. Um, and he's spending something like 500 odd, $520 a week on rent, whereas rent shouldn't be more than maybe 350 a wow. week for him. It's obscene. Wow, it is obscene. that's expensive. And now, now, when his house is actually sold, he will not have enough for a new home. He can't even put a deposit down on a new home or a, or a tiny little shack out in the sticks because they will have squandered all his assets. Oh, and, and, that, and a year ago when they actually applied oh. for the uh, NDS to support him, they botched up the application so badly and then nobody came back to fix it. So for a year, he's had no support. It's, it's, it's just a terrible. It is. It's terrible how we treat our most vulnerable in our communities. That just is a heartbreaking story to hear. And well, you, I, I, know, so, I know. I know. Sorry, darling. Um, I, I know that with this psychologist, uh, between her and I and um, a number of professionals that we could bring on board, we could have this guy completely sorted out within maybe a few short weeks. Um, but we're not allowed to use our resources and we're not allowed to assist him. We're not allowed to spend our free time helping him. That's, that's angering. Chris, are you seeing that kind of behavior? And I don't know if you two live by each other or, I know, Australia no, is a different big country. States. Okay. No, we're, are you we're seeing in that in states. your area, Chris? Okay. We're, we're seeing, we work together. Matt is a trusted um, a trusted member of, of ASGAR and we have networks, we have 
trusted people in each state and Matt and Maria obviously um, are trusted members of our group. We see this everywhere. We're seeing, it's interesting, what Matt has raised is very true. I receive emails. I have two emails. I have to call these two individuals today. Emails, people actually captured in aged care asking me to visit them. They have been isolated. I don't even know how they've emailed me or how they found us and saying, get me out. I have been forci I am forcibly um, placed in this facility. They have sold my home. They have liquidated my estate. This particular man in particular, he said, no children. He's got no family. And we're seeing... Even if you do have children, even if you do have loved ones, they are silenced, they are threatened. People are being threatened. Matt's being threatened. I'm being threatened. We're all being threatened or targeted in different ways. Now, how I see it, like, for example, they look at the source of income that you draw on. So if you're an NDIS provider or support or disability advocate like Matt is, well, they'll target her income. If they can't target your income, what we're seeing is a disinformation campaign of slander, defamation, Chinese whispers. Um, now, what we do, I do, and Asgard does, we do for free. We do not charge anyone. We don't even have a bank account. But, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, no one does anything for free. They'll throw that out there. I've heard that that line thrown. Rubbish, absolute rubbish. People people assist for free all the time. We have been advocating and, and assisting people that have no money. We do this. Um, but our, obviously our time is limited and our resources are limited. And if other advocates can help, we won't step in. And, and people do get obviously upset about that. But we just can't do, we can't, you know, we can't, we can't really assist everyone. Our time, we're, we're really time poor. However, this, this, uh, how many people are actually um, locked away with no phone, no computer, no access, locked away, wilting away, neglected, abused, and there's no one there to advocate for them? Now, last week or two weeks ago, I assisted a, a young lady uh, in Bendigo who contacted me and asked me, can you please um, attend my hearing. I am happy with my provider. It's a small NDIS provider. She's happy with that provider. She has choice and control under the system. And apparently someone has called in the guardian and the guardian wants to remove her and place her in their oh. facility and their NDIS team. Yep. Really, really frightening. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, I'm really happy. And it's, we see this in South Australia a lot as well. Mm -hmm. And Matt has seen this Absolutely. and has experienced it. Yeah, it's really terrible. And um, we, we, I attended that hearing and the member was talking to the guardian and the guardian was there and she, she said her piece. And... This young lady was telling me, she's lying, she's lying. When am I going to speak? When am I going to speak? Everyone left and she just stood up and spoke to the member and said, I want to speak. I do not want this guardian. I do not want to be under guardianship. Now, what I did is I spoke to her privately. She has my number. She has the police's number on hand. I said, what would you do if your 
you know, NDIS provider was abusing you. She said, I'd call you, Chris. I would go to the police. I would tell my boyfriend. Now, I said, why do you have an mm-hmm. access order on you? Why do you have an access order? And she said, because sometimes I, I argue with my boyfriend. And I said to her, and she has a mild intellectual disability, that's all. And, she, and I said, so you have a disagreement with your boyfriend? Has it been physical? Um, has your life been... Um, you know, put in danger. And she said, no. She said, we just go silent. And I said, darling, if that's the case, every person in this world would need a guardian for every fight they had with their spouse or their parents or their loved one. I mean, this was the reason. I know, isn't that crazy? And this was the reason a guardian stepped in because she has a disagreement or she disagrees with her boyfriend from time to time. And because she wants to live in a place that there are no spotters watching her. Now, I I sent a letter to the public advocate here in Victoria and I voiced my complaint and it would seem... And it's good because that's what really should happen. Colleen Pierce has obviously spoken to someone and they've put a stay on her moving until these matters are addressed. Now, that's how it should work. That's how it should work. In other states, they ignore you completely. We have a young man at the moment who has been denied access to his father for no reason. Now, the Guardian has stepped aside and allowed an accommodation provider to isolate a young man, remove his human rights Mm -hmm. to see his father for no reason. Now, this is the catch-22. He was given, the father was given, he's in the middle of a hearing, he has disputed this provider, this accommodation facility as being not fit for purpose for his son who has autism. And he has nominated another trusted support provider which he believes would serve you know his son's interests and and would be better a better fit and there's obviously the the guardian know they want this particular uh, provider and this provider has now shut the doors they've used trespass laws to stop access trespass laws now the guardian has access and accommodation functions and they're saying oh no we can't intervene yes you can This is the games they Mm -hmm. play. If the Guardian wants to step aside and not sort of take the blame, they will will blame the facility. They'll say, oh, you've breached the law. Now, they've not breached anything. The facility is a landlord. That's all they are. That's right. The rent of this particular, that's right, the rent, that person, that individual's um, pension is paying for that landlord. The landlord cannot stop you. The tenant has a right. The tenant happens to be a person with a disability. That person with a disability wants to see his father. How can these providers stop access and deny people that right? These are tenancy breaches, basic tenancy rights. I mean, and landlord, the, la- the landlord is now saying, no, you can't go in. Well, this is absolutely garbage. And the guardian sits back and says, oh, don't blame us. It's the provider. Well, actually, no, it is the guardian's role. And this is what this particular father yeah. is fighting about. And we see this all the time. These, uh, they shut the door and then the guardian says, sorry, you know, fingers in the ears. I'm sorry, we're not, we, we, we can't hear. La, 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 la. And they just go silent. And I think, no, you can't. This is abuse. And the father has taken this uh, through NCAT, through the, um, the Human Rights mm. Division. 
of that area. And we're hoping that this... But this is the other problem that we're seeing. Matt has seen this and we're seeing it. Even if you win an appeal in a courtroom, as we Matt and I recently saw in South Australia, those matters are directed back to the tribunal. It's this circular yep. motion and you can't escape. It's crazy. So the hollow victory, crazy. it ends up being a hollow victory. Um, you might win, but you're still losing and you're still paying lawyers. In this instance, obviously, um, this mother is uh, still paying a lawyer and a QC and a barrister to represent her. Uh, and for as long as it drags on in front of the say cats, you know, you, you win, but you still lose. And um, it's absolutely disgusting. And just to, in, in keeping with what you were talking about, Chris, um, with the lady that we had um, eventually released from any guardianship, uh, when she was in front of the member of the tribunal and the tribunal member was basically talking about the intended guardianship orders that they were going to put out on her, mum piped up and said, I don't need a guardian. I've got a husband. He is my guardian. And the member said, no, I will be deciding who your guardian is. And she goes, but I have Ooh. a husband. He is guardian, right? And um, anyway, mum got up and, and she was so distraught and so distressed, but she was very calm. She was very calm, but she walked out of the tribunal at that stage. And then the member has the audacity to ask me, would I like to accompany my client and help her, I guess, um, you know, deal with her emotions and, and settle her down? And I thought, no, I'm staying here. You go deal with her because you caused it. I didn't cause it. I did not cause her distress. She walked out because you caused her distress. How dare you override this woman's marital relationship with her husband where normally her husband would then be responsible for her. But this is routine. This is routine. They don't care what relationships you've got. They don't care if you've got a, a daughter or a son that you love and adore. I mean, I've got two kids that would love to care for me. God forbid anything should happen to me. Um, and not that I would want them to, but um, they would step in in a heartbeat. But you've got these overlords who would override that trusted, precious, loving relationship that I've got with my kids on a dime mm. if they want to come in and punish you or you're worth some money. It's just the destruction of the family. Yeah, it's disgusting. Mm. A few weeks back, I replayed the the first story that Marty had reported on guardianship and she talked about it all the time and it was the Gary Harvey story and Gary and Sarah were married and they they did the same thing. They just tore this married couple mm -hmm. apart and it's just mm -hmm. it's just an awful, awful story. And so if anybody wants to go back in the archives, I, it, I just aired it I think maybe three weeks ago so you can go back and listen mm. to that on your favorite platform. It's a three-hour show, but basically Marty talked about that one all the time, and that was the first one that she had ever heard, and it was a married couple. So, yeah, they just tear families oh. apart, even husband and wife. And, and when you were talking about how they target, Chris, uh, how they target service providers, um, with the same lady in question, um, she ended up in hospital. And the hospital was forcing medical treatments on her that she did not want, including a spinal tap. Um, and oh. she, when she resisted, she didn't want it. She made it crystal clear she didn't want it. Now, I was down as her next best advocate on the medical records because Dad was at home looking after six kids, okay? Uh, and with six kids and they don't drive a car, he wasn't able to be there in the hospital with her 
uh, when decisions needed to be made. So mum then said, please, Matilda, would you be the first person, the first contact, and the husband would be the second contact. Either way, she had people on the record who could make decisions for her when she needed to have those decisions made. And uh, anyway, the doctors were happy to consult with me when it suited them. But when they wanted a spinal tap and she refused, they didn't consult with me or the father. Nobody was consulted. And when she then resisted, they called out a code black. That was one of two incidences where they then used those incidences in the SACAC to argue that she had no mental capacity because uh, apparently, you know, these two events where she fought against the practitioners forcing medical procedures on her was used against her. So then it gets worse because during the two code blacks, she is absolutely beaten black and blue while they're trying to restrain her. And I, with my, my sister, who is also a carer, went to visit her in hospital. We didn't know what had transpired before we walked in, uh, maybe several hours before we walked in. And while we're there, we noticed that the sheets on her bed are bloodied and dirty, soiled, um, and she's left there with no one to clean her up. And we looked at her and we thought, gee, she's in a really bad way. She looks like she hadn't even been showered or bathed at all. And uh, my sister says, Matilda, she goes, have you got time to bath her? Now, normally as a support coordinator, I would not be doing that. However, how can you leave a human being sitting, rotting away in a hospital bed without the care that they need? So I said, of course, of course. So we helped her shower, right? Um, And as we're showering her, we wash her hair and I go to comb her hair and she cries out, ow. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, my head, it hurts. Oh, why is your head hurting when I'm combing you? Relatively gently, I thought. Um, and yeah. I feel her scalp. There is a massive lump on her head. Massive. Aww. So we then start the body and she is battered and, and she's got bruises you would not believe. She looked like she was in a car accident. So I start taking photographs with her consent. And, uh, you know, I said, look, you know, can, can I take photos? This is really horrific. So I took photos to to give this to the NDIA as evidence of the extra care and support she will need when she gets home. The NDIA then comes back and reports me to the Quality and Safeguards Commission to claim that I have lurid pictures of my client in my phone when that was evidence of oh the my abuse God. she suffered. Now, it gets worse. Yeah. Had, she gone home, had she gone home with those injuries, her husband would have been blamed for bashing her. But we did those oh, photographs as planned. evidence of what happened in hospital before she went mm-hmm. home and then I'm accused of having lurid pictures of my client in my phone as if I have some sort of disgusting interest in her mm-hmm. it is a it's uh, insane. but I, I refuse to I refuse to remove those photos as evidence God God forbid had there been a coronial inquiry I would have been swinging from the nearest tree having to explain to the media here in Australia what a rotten NDIS provider I have been because I'm independent and I'm not um, a tool of the state. I'm not a hired gun for the guardianship people. It's obscene. It is obscene, that, but this goes on all, all the time. She, how mm-hmm. is she doing now? I heard happened. those spinal taps are so painful, and she was just fighting. Yep. She didn't want it. How is well, she you know doing what? now? If, this even is if, awful. Even, even if the doctors had deemed it was necessary for, you know, saving her life, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Had that been necessary, she would have 
managed that if I'd have been allowed to communicate with her, maybe to sit alongside of her, hold her hand, yeah. talk her through it. If I had been there as a support, she would have probably accepted the doctor's advice. But they cut me out of any decision-making. They cut her husband out of any decision-making. And then when she was declaring her decision, and she is totally fit and competent, right? Even, even when her challenging behaviors, you know, that people, if she makes decisions for herself that maybe ordinary people, other people would not. But that's her prerogative. That, right. that is her prerogative. If, if 80% of the people would go and do a spinal tap on the advice of the doctor, what about the 20% that don't? So what? That is their prerogative as human beings, not to be subjected to medical procedures they do not want for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about guardianship, and I remember hearing a good social worker, they, they do exist, saying to me, it is people have the right to make a bad decision. And they Absolutely. use the Britney Spears. Britney Spears has the right to blow all her money. She has a right, you know, and that these guardianships that just come in because they think they have the moral authority. But that's that's our rights. Our rights are to make what might some people might deem to be the wrong decisions. And but this is this is where the state, this is where the state believes it's the better parent, the better guardian, than the most trusted family members and community that somebody might have around them. And I, I, I promise you, every one of my clients on NDIS, we build a community around them. And, and yes. if, they can't go out, if they can't go out into the community, we bring the community to them. And that, I would think possibly with no exception, my clients are not vulnerable but my clients are at the when mm. you know, you have that old safeguard unit going in like the Gestapo and the Star Chamber, and they're only interested in knowing the negatives of what's going in their life. They don't want to know the positives. For mm. example, for example they, the negatives that they will use would be things like, for example, my clients might not want to see an occupational therapist because they feel that they don't need occupational therapy services. They, they feel confident about making themselves a sandwich or a piece of toast. They don't need to learn how to cook, Okay. When, when it's presented to the um, SACAT, the, the South Australian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, that's presented as a negative on my part that I'm denying my client access to an occupational therapist when it's their choice not to use one. So, so the state will tell you who, who you will use. It's mandatory to use whoever they declare. They, quote, approve or authorise, even though there is actually no tender process. You know, you know somebody in the guardianship board or the public trustee or whatever, that's, that's how you, you get these contracts. It's all nepotistic. Wow. It is absolutely nepotistic. But those of us who are independent and not hired guns, we're targeted for special treatment by the state. Yeah. And we're doing nothing unlawful. In fact, we're actually well with mm-hmm. this for. Well, they want. I just sit and I, I just sit and I wonder out loud as I hear this going on a global scale. Like, why is it, and who is it behind the destruction of families, and why are they trying so hard just to break families up? I don't. Well, can I, I don't can know I the answer. Can I throw a little bit of light on that? What I believe, and and I think you'll see the evidence yeah. of this emerge slowly. 
Uh, if you follow Kate Mason on Facebook, she, she talks about quite a bit of this now um, and she's getting across yeah. it in ways, leading, leading the way in this, uh, in ways that I, I'm certainly far behind. Um, but there's this thing called social impact bond, which is um, a, a term that's being promoted by the World Economic Forum in the United Nations. And I think what's happening slowly but surreptitiously is that the NDIA is now going to be a funnel for effectively many institutions that are going to be set up all over the place. For example, you've got group homes of three, four, five, maybe more. Um, these little so-called independent homes where allegedly you are living um, independently but with some support, they become little mini institutions. And as Chris says, the landlord becomes the gatekeeper. Okay, They become the gatekeeper as to whether or not you will have contact with the outside world or the outside world will have contact with exactly. you. Good luck. Good luck, right? They have become mini institutions. Now, the World Economic Forum is now reinstitutionalizing people with disabilities. And if you look online, if you go to the Housing Hub, for example, you will see that there's over 3,000 accommodation services across the country with no one in them, right? How are you going to get people oh. in them? There are investors in these accommodation services, okay? Exactly. There are houses sitting idle months and months and months and months, rotting away, not getting any, any rent coming in. But when the tide turns and there is a tsunami of people being funneled through the NDIA into these accommodation services, it will be registered providers. Independent people cannot sign up to these programs to run independent housing options. Right, potential landlords only registered providers can, because they get uh, you know uh, SBA or SIL, uh, you know supported disability uh, accommodation. SIL, sorry, can be private, but it's difficult to coordinate, and there's not extra funding involved in that. Whereas if you go through SBA, you get fifty, eighty thousand dollars up front. Now these houses, in in quite a number of instances that I've inquired recently, will attract, for example. <clears throat> 90, maybe 100,000 plus per year. Now, NDIA will put in, let's say, 50 to $80,000. Then you've got to make up the difference. You're going to make that difference up on the person's disability pension, okay? On top of that, the disability provider will probably have to top it up by another maybe fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year, perhaps even as a one-off. That's a pretty big risk. That is a big risk for the service provider to go out of pocket by that amount of money, fifteen, twenty thousand 20000 plus. So how are you going to do it without guaranteeing a supply of human flesh? You're going to need bodies oh in those houses, affordable. And this is the social you, impact bond. Now, incidentally, the church is assaulting this system. Um, I, don't, don't quote me, um, but there is a, a church that is prominent in this, in the child protection system. And the same thing's going to happen there. They're going to traffic children. Okay? They need bodies in these houses. Otherwise, the investors don't yep. get a return on their money. Some of them are That's corporate, exactly some of them are private. Okay? This is oh only the God. beginning. So you want to know who's right? World Economic Forum and United Nations, you can put them at the top of the list. This is re-institutionalizing wow. people. I came from the 1980s. I'm old school. 1980s, mm-hmm. 1990s was when I in the disability sector and we were de-institutionalising people. I remember working in one of the most horrific institutions here in Adelaide. You could mm. smell the stench 
from the car park 500 metres away. You would park at the bottom of the car park. It was Rurua Nursing Home. You could smell the stench, and then you would walk in and your stomach would turn. That was late 1980s, 89, 90. By 92, I think it was as good as gone. And now we're going back to that. And I've walked into some real slum lords, like, like real slums, vulnerable people who should be on the NDIA and getting support are paying $275 a week for a cockroach and mouse infested room shared with four other people in a sinkhole. But what are you going to do? Who are you going to tell it to? Because the, the adult safeguards unit is not, not knocking on their door. They're knocking on the door of people who are doing just fine being serviced by independent providers like myself. They need customers. Yeah, they need customers, customers, man. Yeah, they need customers. Yep, that's right. It's exactly what they're doing. It is. It's exactly that. I think you... Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. I'm going to need to take notes on all this. This is like... Okay, so now I'm going to... Like, my brain is going... This, like, you just blew my mind because it's it's disgusting, but it all makes sense. Do you have a large homeless population in Australia? Growing. <laughs> yes, growing. Yes, we do. So yes. Because what may, what, so here, so we do here in the United States, and everyone always says it's because Ronald Reagan, which is back in the 80s, which you're talking about 80s, he, they, everyone was in institutions, and then he let everyone out, and now everyone, yeah. it, it seems like they're trying to go back to that, Absolutely. And it's just kind of interesting because it makes that what you just said makes a ton of sense that they, you know, yes, want to take a disadvantaged population, but then add to it using the court systems and elderly well, and disabled. To, oh, get a, get a load of this, right? If you are a private investor and you might choose, I don't know, you might collaborate with uh, five, six, ten other people to invest in a property, let's say worth maybe five hundred dollars to $600,000 here in Adelaide, okay? On a return on your investment of $100,000 plus per year, you've got that home paid off in about five to six, seven years, okay? Not a bad return on investment, do you asset. reckon? Yeah, and it's right? an you reckon that grows, so when they go to sell the you house, betcha. it's an asset, you betcha. they can get bank loans off the asset. And they can just keep growing. Mm-hmm. And the rich get rich and the poor get poorer. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Cottage well, history. Mm-hmm. Matt, you know, tell her about one of, of the ladies. Oh. Tell her about one of the ladies. Tell, tell, tell the audience about a real estate agent who became an NDIS provider without naming names and how she snatched two young uh, vulnerable adults to pay off the house in South Australia. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, that's sorry, a real estate uh, agent. You're probably not aware of the story, but a real estate oh, agent oh. now, an NDIS provider, needed a client and snatched one of our our members' sons um, to to funnel oh, that. Oh. And they, these are the allegations oh. that are being made, and we won't name names, yeah. but these are the allegations no, 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 no. being I'm, made. And these are really right. this is really I'm, an investment scheme. Throw money at it. You throw money. You need you need to fill up these rooms, these these three bedroom homes with vulnerable people. You take their pension, yes. 
So think about it. 85% yeah. of their pension is directed to the accommodation provider. Their inheritance is also targeted by the public trustee, which is run by the Absolutely. state. The guardian, who's controlled by the state, or has the, the access function of accommodation and access. So these three networks all work together. And people like Matilda, who, who want to get... Now, we're, we're not against guardianship. Guardianship means guard. No. But in, in the traditional no. form has been family, the husband, if someone declines, the wife, the children, all gone. Absolutely. All gone. Absolutely. These providers are taking and, over. That's right. And, and the reason the public advocate takes the view of, you know, you're not authorised by us, like they're some overlords, right? The whole NDIS system was supposed to have negated the need for any guardian or public trustee at all. In fact, that there is actually supposed exactly. to be a Commonwealth State Disability Agreement which says once they get an NDIS package, the guardian steps out because there is no need for a guardian. Once they have a support coordinator like myself, there is no need for a guardian. That is my role. But you see, the Adult Safeguards Unit, on the other hand, now has actively sought to assert the powers of the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission so they can now supposedly regulate service providers like me. Well, how do they regulate? They make false allegations, right? They make false allegations of fraud and, I don't know, um, what is it? Yep. Exploiting yep. vulnerable people, blah, blah, blah. That's not the role of yep. the Adult Safeguards Unit to investigate me, but my clients become collateral damage. They don't oh, care exactly. that my clients are innocent, yep. and they don't care that I'm innocent. It's the, the process is the punishment, right? They come after me as an independent service provider. Why? Because I am not a hired gun for the state. And I will never be. I will never be. Incidentally, in that situation involving the, the lady who ended up in hospital, uh, Child Protection Services came after her when I first walked into the family situation about over three years ago. And she had seven children in the house at the time, a family of nine. And they were going. They falsely accused her of physically abusing the non-verbal autistic boy, and uh, because he had bruises and injuries. But they are self-inflicted. He actually bites and punches himself. So anyway, um, when I fought the child protection services, and um, they wanted me, they wanted to enlist my support to have the children removed, and I refused to do that. When I refused to do that, child protection eventually, even when they left the family home. They reported me to the Quality and Safeguards Commission. Well, of course, they had no case, but it didn't matter because the process is the punishment. They, oh they, they, were forced to walk, they were forced to walk out of the family situation about four months in. They tried everything to get mum to sack me. They wanted mum to sack me, and she refused. And I said, listen, I understand that you are now embattled. I understand if you need to choose another service provider, please do. I would, I would recommend you do because mm -hmm. they're going to target you because of me. She refused. She stood by me very, very loyally. And she goes, no, Matt. She goes, if it wasn't for you, we would have lost our kids by now anyway. And I said, look, you know, mm. don't be too hasty. Think about it, right? She refused to sack me. Because she refused to sack me, they went after her. And uh, yeah. anyway, eventually... Mm. I caught them with their pants down. They wanted, they wanted to have me agree to transport training uh, at the time, a 13-year-old boy who wasn't able to go to school because of his disability. And uh, anyway, he was living in a very dangerous place. 
Child Protection, instead of giving them a safe home, decides that they want me to agree to transport training this boy to get to, to and from school, where children, parents, do not walk along this pathway because of the heavy trucks and machinery that goes past this area and lots of prostitution as well on the streets, right? There are no children's crossing. There are no safe places where one can, a vulnerable person, can travel by foot. And when I refused, they turned around and accused me of being extremely, quote, unprofessional. How, how can you not agree to this transport training agenda? And I said, which one of you wants to go before the um, coronial inquiry if this child gets under the wheels of a truck and ends up severely injured or dead? Who wants to answer to the coronial inquiry on who thought this was a great idea? Because it won't be me. It won't be my name and my signature on that document. And I said, are you willing to put your name on the document? Well, not one person in that room, the, the, two social, the four social workers, not one could look me in the eye, two male, two female, ambushing me to agree to be their hired gun to have this family destroyed. And when wow. I refused, that's when... It is about and family destruction, say, I do believe it. Yeah. Can I say mm. since then, and Chris can, can verify this, the family is now living in a beautiful home. And they yep. are very, very cohesive and supporting each other very, very well under difficult, challenging circumstances because four, at least four, and we believe maybe another two, have significant disabilities in that family. But they are doing just fine. I'm glad that well, you as, as, you, as you, you guys are talking about that particular family, I've just received an email and a letter sent to another family and they've just forwarded that on to Asgar in regards to their son. Their son has been in and out of hospital and the public guardian has refused to tell the family why their son has been placed in hospital. This is the type of rubbish that we're seeing. This is the destruction of the family. They are targeting vulnerable people. They are saving money. They're neglecting them. They really are neglecting them and allowing them to die early. I really believe there there is a... There is a culling of sorts uh, of our vulnerable, and these institutions are growing again. But then, yeah, there is, isn't there? There is a there is a neglect. I don't. I have yet to see anyone under public guardianship prosper and live a fulfilling no. life. I actually see a regression. No. I see a and I see abuse and I see cover-ups, and we see and we do we see cover-ups, neglect, exploitation, violence. Now this letter that's just come through me, I won't say the name. The family has complained that they found out that their son, who's under public guardianship and there's no reason and they're challenging the decision, they have just found out that their son was in hospital. And this is the letter that they received from the public guardian. Whilst a serious health incident such as hospitalisation would ordinarily be reported to family members of the person under guardianship, none of the incidences in this month were of a severity to warrant notification to the family. Okay, mm. the mm. Guardian's records mm. indicate that this person has been admitted to hospital. Um, however, we did not feel that the family were required were required but, to be notified. This is what they're doing. Um, it's individual extremism. It's this individual that has no connection to family. The minute you turn 18 you. or even seven with docs, 
bang. They're saying, nope, family are nothing. We're being treated like cattle, okay? You know, you can separate the, the herd. I mean, this letter, I'm reading this, and I'm actually, I mean, reading that The Guardian balances this right against the interests of the family to know details. This man now... This young person with a disability needs his family to be his guardian because he does lack mental functioning capacity. There's nothing wrong with guardianship. Who becomes the guardian is what's at war here. And what we're seeing is the guardians are fighting with family or husbands or parents or siblings and they're taking over and they're using this individual extremism, yeah. That's right. And, 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 I mean, and independent what? service providers like, like myself are competitors to the state, right? We are in direct competition with the state. Yes. Because I'm telling you, I know that I and my team, my team of trusted, as Chris says, trusted people, can provide a far superior service with plenty of oversight for far better than anything that the Office of Public Advocate or the Adult Safeguarding Unit or the SACAC can do themselves. Because... None of them talk to each other when it suits, and they all talk to each other when it suits. <laughs> you know, it's you're actually mad. I mean, people are seeking your services. It's not as if you're out there and you're advertising or whatever. We're now working with Matt. I do not solicit. No, no, what we do, what, what Asgar has have had to do is find in every state, and we've, we've, we've pretty much covered every state except WA and Tasmania. We're still looking for trusted people there. We make, like I said, we, we, we make no money. We refer people to trusted networks that work with the family that are not spotters, that won't go running to the guardian and say, grab this, here's a victim. That's, the, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this dibby-dobber system where um, only those um, providers that work with the guardians are deemed suitable and trusted. And what, what many don't realise is that with NDIS, you need to be accredited at a Commonwealth level. It has nothing to do with the state. Um, the state is just sticking their nose in and working with uh, those support networks that they can control and that they can sack if they, if they don't feel that they're working with the state's interest. The state has a vested interest in controlling costs. Hopefully. They do not want people to access hospitals. They will lock up vulnerable people 24 hours a day and deny them medical treatment such as dental treatment. We see that often, dental and health, yep. to say, the state money and that's what they're doing it's about saving money and accessing their pensions and they are throwing money to these real I call NDIS now a real estate and employment scheme because that's all it does it funds people uh, that work with the guardians they become guards they guard them in these homes they're entrapped and they deny the family access they do it and, you know, I think a lot of the problem, Chris, is that um, when you look at the training, and I've seen this firsthand, when you look at the appalling training of social workers, let's say, through the um, university. Uh, I'll, I'll put Flinders University on the record as, as something that I've directly experienced. Uh, the School of Social Work effectively will pass almost anybody. Unless, of course, you haven't attended any lectures, you might fail. But other than that, everybody gets a degree and everybody becomes a social worker. And it doesn't matter what qualities you possess or fail to demonstrate. Uh, 
mid-year appraisals or end-of-year appraisals, you know, of um, field work, but everybody passes. And I know from direct experience, there was one particular student, social worker, that in my view, when I was a field education liaison officer, I would not have passed under any circumstances. I would have required her to do extra training um, for another good couple of weeks, if not a few months. Uh, I thought she should have failed, and I was told she gets to pass because, quote, there are more students than there are placements, and we don't, don't want to upset any service providers. Now, this social worker, who, she is now a social worker, working for a church organisation up north, um, supposedly caring for foster carers. Well, God forbid, because her contempt for foster carers was absolutely palpable. She, she didn't even think that foster carers um, might have a reason why they don't want to attend her training courses. When I asked her for um, proof of learning plans and examples of diaries and case notes and stuff, she produced nothing, no evidence of her learning or practice. And I was supposed to pass her when she's supposed to produce evidence. Everybody else had to produce evidence, but she unfortunately did not have to. And um, when... She's talking about her foster carers. She's sneering down her nose at them, saying that most foster carers are, quote, only in it for the money. They're belligerent. They, they can't be bothered training themselves up. And I said, well, have you actually contacted the foster carers to find out why are they not coming to your training courses? Maybe after being foster carers for 25, 30 years and seeing a 1,000 children come through their home, they've probably done the first aid training course like 600 times. Maybe they want to do something else. Maybe you need to provide them with other types of training. I said, have you consulted with them? No. And you get to pass your social work degree on that. So you, you then end up working in the system, in, in the actual system, and you end up working potentially for Office of Public Advocate or Adult Safeguards Unit with that kind of attitude. Wow. Yeah, no accountability. No accountability. No. But me... Me and my colleagues and indeed my family, I worked very closely with some members of my family, um, we are put under all sorts of scrutiny and having to defend our professional practice against that. <laughs> and I can tell you what, everybody on my team, registered, unregistered, family, not family, everybody knows what my expectations are. And you will never, never, never smear down your nose at anyone who is vulnerable or, you know, who has a difference of opinion. You will not treat well, seeing it like that. Matt. I'm seeing this more, Matt. I'm seeing it more. I'm seeing the independent, um, the independent providers, and they are registered and they are qualified in what they do and they direct and, and they direct um, they're directly reporting to NDIA and they comply oh. with all the oh. requirements. They are they are being targeted if they do not work with the state. Any small right. independent operator, and now just to, to understand, anyone under NDI, you can also you can also be unregistered. You could actually, if you have a plan, for example, I have one client who is self managed, and he has two ladies who are not part of NDIS, but but they are they are um, he, he they are support workers, and he trusts them. They are targeting him because 
they do not want these two ladies to support him, and they all the Guardian has stepped in and has as told they threatened guardianship on him, and he always calls me up and oh. says no 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 no, um, they threatened guardianship on him if he doesn't pick this particular provider. Now so he went with that provider oh. for a, for a short time. They've ignored him. They they send um, they send support workers that. And it's not against people who don't speak English, but he doesn't speak another language other than English. So he can't even communicate with the um, the support workers. Now, matching is a requirement under NDIS. If, you're, if those services don't match your needs, you cannot provide that person. Now, every, and what was happening was he threatened to, and he did, he eventually left that, that particular um, a provider, but they threatened to guardianise him if he complained. If you keep complaining, they told him, we will put in an application for guardianship. Now, what they do is they don't become the guardian. They ask the public guardian to step in, you see? That's right. And then they work with the guardian controlling that person's decision-making, and that's all they have to do, threats. And intimidation. We have a lady now who left South Australia and she has fled to Western Australia. We have a Victorian who has fled to Queensland. We have uh, three people who have, have left the country and have gone overseas. They are not coming back. One of them called Australia a Holocaust. And she's of, uh, you know, she's of um, a particular background where she can actually use that word. So she said, <laughs> it's a Holocaust, Chris. She said, it's a Holocaust. What's happening? It's a, it's a soft kill. It's a soft kill, it isn't is. it, really? Uh, it's not totally. the... Um, I, Marty said it to me once. I had a bit, bit of a chat with her and she said, they made a mistake in World War II, Chris. It was too brutal. What they're doing now yes. is everything is behind closed doors. That's right. Group facilities, right. aged yeah. care facilities, hospitals. It's all happening in the middle of the night. No one sees anything. Actually, you know, yeah. They're doing it behind closed doors. You'll, you'll see mm. something very similar yeah. to that, Chris, online, um, where, for example, when ISIS came out and started slaughtering and butchering people all over the place, right, and you could see heads, you know, up. Uh, held up headless bodies, um, you know, on, on media. Hamas apparently, uh, I think it was Hamas, uh, there was another similar organisation who came out and started criticising ISIS because it was too gruesome. They didn't just needed to go a little bit quieter. Uh, all these bombings, no, you don't approve of bombings, but you can stab someone. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of attitude. Yes, yes, it yes, is yes, 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 yes. Absolutely the soft. Yes, yes. We don't wow. want it to be so obvious that we're institutionalising. We don't want yeah. well, well, But that's human nature. It's human nature. If you don't see it, what has been our problem? It's been exposure, okay? No one believes this is happening because when, when state control came out last year and, and we have had ABC reporting on guardianship, we, Matt and others, were, and, and there are other advocates as well, are screaming and saying, this is happening, this is real. No one believed it. Once it appeared on ABC, oh, my God, how long has this been happening for? It was as if, like, this light bulb came out of nowhere and people, oh, my goodness, I saw it on TV. I was driving the other day. I was in a taxi, and this lovely man, I think he was of Indian heritage, he said, oh, he said to me, you should have seen, I've seen about this, this guy, because we were chatting about, and he said, what do you do? And we were discussing about guardianship. And he said, I saw it on the ABC. It's real. And I'm thinking, 
yes, it is real, you know. And, and he said, oh, I saw it. Yeah. But I thought, if the ABC, and, and, it's, and it, it's happening in the US as well, if the ABC and the media did not expose this and did not talk about this, no one would know it's happening. And they're still Absolutely. trying to cover it up. And we're seeing a different angle. I know the public trustee uh, comes in for a lot of criticism, but true advocates know the real abuses are actually happening in the guardianship arena, the human bodies, the, the medical decisions being removed, um, the access, the accommodation. Yeah. Yes, the money's horrendous. You know, they, they, they fleece you. But the isolation, the drugging, and now we're seeing trauma bonding that's occurring. So what they'll do, if I wanted to take over one of Matt's clients, what I would do as the guardian, I would knock on the door and I'd say, you know, you can't trust her. Come over here. You find that's the most exactly right. vulnerable person. Yeah, so right. you would find the most vulnerable person and start influencing them and saying, you do know she does this and you do know she does that. Oh, and you, you know, she knows this, but, and they become frightened because they're mm -hmm. vulnerable. Exactly and then they develop a bond. They develop a bond. Yeah. That's trauma-based bonding. And then before you know it, that person will say, oh, I am a little bit frightened. And with that one word, they'll come in, snatch her or him and remove them under the guise of protection and Matt will never see them again. By the time that vulnerable That's person realises they've been hoodwinked, it's too late. No one sees them again. Right. Well, I was really lucky. Okay. Uh, just then the it comes to writing a wish. I, I was lucky just the other night to have reconnected with a lady that I serviced more than 20 years ago and she remembered me and she came up and she said hello and she says hi do you remember me I said oh, of course I remember you for goodness sakes absolutely and she goes oh I'm so happy to see you and we reconnected well I find out she's now living without NDIS support and has significant mental health disabilities that need assistance um, in an absolute hovel and she's largely she's largely homeless she's been transient moving from house to house and couch surfing and out on the street no one helping her, not one person helping her. And thank goodness, you know, um, I've reconnected with her. Anyway, when I told her some of the allegations that I've been facing and my sort of reluctance and apprehension about, you know, sort of taking on too many people, she said, Matilda, she goes, if you ever need an advocate or, or a reference, you know, a reference, she goes, I'll be your referee. She goes, you've always done the, the best things by me. I love you and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm going, how nice. There are people out there that I've serviced in the past that know that I would never take advantage of them, never abuse them, never fleece them for money. And Chris can tell you, Chris can tell you, I mean, I'm always upfront and honest about how much I'm earning, how much I'm charging, who, who my clients are. Um, so, you know, yes. it's, it's just atrocious. It's really you have to defend your... But it's about choice, all the time. Mm. It's choice, Matt. No, people no. choose you. That's what NDIS is about. It's about... Finding people in each, uh, in each. If I, for example, have a disability and I'm, I'm, I'm awarded, well, I'm awarded. I should say that, but um, allocated a, a budget. Um, I should be allowed to choose who I want to to work with. Right. We will only recommend those NDIS providers that do not work with the public guardian. Once they work with the public guardian, they work right. together. It's, it's this so collusive, protected. yeah. And the family units destroyed. Yeah. There's nothing. There is nothing wrong with NDIS. NDIS, the architect of NDIS, it was the architect, and I spoke to, to, to Rhonda Galbally and others that were behind this. It was about choice and control and inclusion. And 
under guardianship, it's anything but that. It's not about that. So the little providers that are working with the family and assisting and, and there's transparency, they are being targeted. And the big players, the big companies are working with the guardians. And effectively, they have created these mini institutions and they call them group right. homes. They're facilities. They're facilities. Yep. They're not yep. homes. They remove people against their will and it's a real estate scheme and it's an employment yep. scheme. One budget, $300,000, $300,000, so $299,000 was going towards the support care workers to guard this particular yep. woman that we, we supported yep. to remove them. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God! Absolutely. So we have about a minute. We have about a minute and a half left. This has been such an amazing show. I feel like we need to do part two. But I, any last minute, any last minute comments that you guys want to get in before we are done here? Take it away. Look, I, I, I would just like to say that a lot of people have placed, placed a huge amount of uh, faith in Bill Shorten turning the NDIA around. I've got no faith now at all. There's been plenty of time, plenty of opportunity for Bill Shorten to do something about the NDIA and to stop this uh, collusion between the state and the Commonwealth. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And this is only the tip of the spear. You have sure opened up my eyes to the World Economic Forum and everything that you've uh, revealed here. And yes, Chris, when you called it a soft kill, that made so much sense. But I guess we're going to real quick list off our sponsors. I'm going to get it right. ASCA, the Australian Association to Stop Guardianship and Administrative Abuse. NASCA, the National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse. Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page. And Marcel Reed on the Whistleblower Summit. Those are all our wonderful sponsors to help that keep this show going, either financially or even supporting me personally to keep going and carry on the voice of our beautiful Marty Oakley. And, Chris, you have just been such a blessing to me and to help me carry Marty's voice. You carry Marty's right voice. We were amazing. We were amazing at the Whistleblower Summit. Um, I hope we can do this again. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a Thank wonderful you. evening. Good night. God bless. Thank you. Good night. Bye.